If you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can open up to Proverbs chapter 21. And I'm going to go ahead and open up in prayer uh, before we do that today. We're going to bounce around a little bit, but that's the first verse. So if you've got a Bible with you um, or if you have a phone app or whatnot, uh, we're going to put it on the screen too so you can follow along there. But if you'll join me first in a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for the freedom that we have in the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. We are here for no other reason than that was accomplished 2,000 years ago. And because of that, I have freedom. I have assurance to know that because I've confessed my sins to you and made you the Lord and Savior of my life, that when this short life is over, I can step into eternity with you. But until that day, I want to live for you, Lord. I desire and I pray that each one of us here desires to live for you. 100% all in, eliminate things from our lives that are holding us back and to remember at the end of the day and in the morning when we wake up that we're surrendering our life to you. So we ask you, Lord, as we break open your word today, as we share your word together, as we worship the name of your son, Jesus Christ, today, Lord, I pray that your spirit will lead us and that you take all that we do and all that we talk about to be for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we've been working through this series, uh, one of the things that we've been doing is uh, I've asked a little bit of participation that we maybe don't normally do, maybe a little bit more interactive. I'm not going to ask you to, to do like on, on Friday night whenever the Salvation Army youth was here and they were having a special event and the Beatty Boys led worship. Kyle Beatty had all of the kids running, running laps in here giving high fives to everybody in the room. So I'm not going to ask you to do that. I don't know how well that would go over for some of you, but I do want a little bit of participation from you and we, as we've been doing. And this one's probably one of the more uh, invasive, more invitation to be uh, open and honest, maybe a little harder for some of you, maybe easy for some of you, other than next week when we get into the moral margin piece, right? But here's my question. By a, a raise of hands, how many of you would be willing to say in front of everybody, so when you go to church, you usually get all eyes closed and heads bowed. I want all eyes open and heads up, right? So let's play opposites here. So how many of you would be willing to say that you occasionally or maybe often have financial stress in your life? True? True? Loud and proud? True? You're like, well, duh, right? Like, absolutely, this is what my life looks like. See, in in our world today, That is absolutely normal. It is absolutely common. I was looking online that that America has over a trillion dollars worth of of cycling consumer debt. And 830 billion of that is on credit cards as it's constantly cycling because we live in a culture that tells us to get more, tells us to chase after it, tells us it's okay, just get it and pay for it later. We live in a culture today where financial stress is absolutely normal, absolutely normal that almost everyone you come into contact with, it's normal to live paycheck to paycheck. It's normal to have monthly payments. It's normal to have debt. It's normal to wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety and worry and fear about what's going to happen tomorrow, about how I'm going to pay for this, how I'm going to accomplish this. It's normal to have financial tensions in our marriages. It's normal to have, to have marriages that are, that are cracking and struggling because We don't know how we're gonna cover this month. Sadly, that's so normal to have little or no financial margin. 
But today, I want to start, I want to just, in your minds, I just want to invite you to, to dream for a second. If that's you, or maybe that's not you, but I know statistically that's most of us, but I, dream for a second of what it would be like if you really did have space for what matters most in your finances. If, if you really did follow God's way with money and you had freedom, flexibility, to do whatever it is that God called you to do, to go wherever it was that God called you to do and to go. What would you do? What would you build? How would you live? What would your life look like? If you truly, truly had financial margin and financial freedom and financial peace, how awesome would that be? What could you do? Who could you be? Where could you go? What would you walk away from and what would you run to if you had financial margin? If you didn't have to go to work because if you didn't go to that job on that day, you weren't gonna be able to feed your children or pay your light bill. What could you do? So when we talk about margin, we've been talking through this idea of margin and I've, I've had this working definition that I'll give to you and you have it on the back of your bulletin. You've got all of the main points and scriptures are listed there on the back of your bulletin if you wanna follow along. My working definition is that margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. So it's the difference between what you have and what you need. So financially speaking, this would be if you earn $4,000 a month and you spend $3,500 a month, you would have $500 left over. And that's, a, that's what, that's a $500 margin. Some of you are like, I, I wouldn't have come this morning if I knew we were doing math, right? Like not, why are we doing, why, why are we doing math? So if you earn $4,000 and you spend $4,000, what is your margin? Your margin is zero. Now, now, now you look at that, you might be like, dude, that's nothing, right? I, I earn $4,000 a month and I spend $4,500 a month, right? Like I can, I can beat that. Like I can do better than that. But you know, you know, that's a whole nother issue. That's a whole nother conversation. But margin is about uh, the amount available beyond what is necessary. So what does that kind of look like in our, our everyday life? See, what that looks like Point short, that's having money left over at the end of the month. It's, it's having money left to do the things that you want to do beyond what is absolutely necessary. And it's possible and it's a good thing. And, and our world tells us it's not possible because we're supposed to get, 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 get more, 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 more. But I can tell you in, in, for Kinsley and I, uh, in, our, in our almost six-year marriage now, um, having from before we got married, having sat down and committed to living with financial margin, committing to, to living debt-free, committing to following God's way with money, I can tell you that it has opened doors and opportunities that we probably wouldn't have been able to walk through otherwise. If we were living on the brink, if, we, if you're at the, well, make 4,000, spend 4,000, or make 4,000, spend 4,500, and, and you can't afford to take a pay cut, and, 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 and you can't afford to go do this, do that, or the other thing, I can tell you that because of that margin, we've been able to do so much more than we ever could have done. We could have opportunities to be so much more generous. When we moved over here to Punxsy three, uh, probably almost four years ago now, uh, um, we were able to make this move. We were both working double income, really low expenses where we lived, but because of how we were choosing to live, because of the margin that we had in our life, 
we were able to go from two income household to one income household with a significant pay cut because we had all of this space. Now, how many of us in America could take a pay cut overnight and make a move that God is calling us to? Most of us can't because most of us are living on the edge or most of us are hanging over the edge, right? But it was such a blessing to know that when God called us to move, when God called us to go and called us to something more than we could ever have expected, than we were really ever planning for, that when we had the prayer and we had the conversation, it didn't have to be as much of a, can we afford it? Can we do this? It's more of, are we ready? Are we willing? Is God truly saying this to us? So that's what I dream for you guys, for whatever it is, because, you know, God calls us to do all sorts of things. And one of the things that holds us back is how am I going to pay for it? How am I going to survive? Because money is such an important tool in our life. But it is possible and it is a good thing and it is a God-ordained thing to not let finances and let money hold us back in following God because we are blessed to be a blessing and we're just managing it. When you manage your money well and you manage your money the way that God intends for us to manage money in the Bible, money is no longer this thing that stresses us out, this thing that holds us back, this thing that, that always has its foot on us and it's like, I need more, I need more, I need more. No, it becomes, it, it, money takes its place where it's supposed to be and that is one more tool that we use in this life to get the things we need to have to get through this life one more resource, one more blessing. Now money's one of the, it's a big thing, right? It touches every part of our life. But at the end of the day, it's one more tool that lives in this world and doesn't leave with us. It's an opportunity that something that God blesses us with to manage with and he, and he, and he only wants 10% of it back. So he is good to us in that we can play with another 90 and use it for his thing, for, for good things and for taking care of ourselves. But imagine what you could do, who, who you could help, uh, how you would feel to live a life with no stress, how much money you could have available to do good things that you enjoy, to make purchases that you could then build more time and more margin in your life from last week, have that flexibility. You know, a lot of times I went to Christian college and there were so many kids that graduated from college and they get these Christian ministry degrees or these Bible degrees. And you say, what are you planning to do with that? Where are you going to go? And they're like, I'm going, I'm going a third world country, man. I'm going overseas. I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to, I'm going to live in an orphanage. I'm going to live this life of sacrifice. And you know what happens? They, they, they graduate with $80,000 of school debt and they call up these missions organizations and they say, you're not going to be able to pay that back if you work for us. So we need you to go get a, another job for five or 10 years and pay that off. And then you can come because they're not wanting that. They want people who have that freedom and flexibility. So that's so important that we do that. And, and I believe that God wants you to have financial margin, that God wants you to live free, that he doesn't want, want money to be the thing that holds you back for your dreams and for your calling. So here's a great verse. I ask you to open to Proverbs 21, 20. Here's a great verse to start with, because I know sometimes there's conversations that are had about this, but I want to just kind of bounce through this. Proverbs 21, 20 says, the wise store up choice food and oil, but fools gulp theirs down. The wise. Now I read this and I love this. I think the wise have margin. The wise have more than enough. The wise have more than they need, but not because they make more, not because they have a higher paying job, not because they have a higher level professional job, but because they're storing up for the future. 
but because they're planning for what's to come, because they know that even though God doesn't promise us tomorrow, he expects us and he blesses us with resources so that we can be prepared for tomorrow when he blesses us. So you could say, as you look at this, you could say, well, the, the foolish person lives paycheck to paycheck. The foolish person just consumes everything that comes in as it comes in or before it comes in. But here's what's interesting to me in this verse. See, the Bible doesn't say that in the house of the wealthy, there is margin. The Bible doesn't say that in the home of two incomes, there is margin. The Bible doesn't say that in the home of the six-figure income, there is more than enough. In the home of the super duper rich, there is choice food and oil. No, the, the Bible says that the house of the wise, there is more than enough. In the house of the wise, the wise way of managing God's money is to entrust it to him. And then there is a foolish way of handling money that God entrusts to us. So let me draw just two contrasts for you to kind of help you wrap your mind around uh, where I'm taking you with this. So I've got two imaginary friends for you. The first imaginary friend, like most people, lives a very honest life, very above board society life. And when I go over and I visit their house, I walk up to a beautiful home and, and I look around and the yard is clearly, man, it's very well manicured. It's clearly professionally taken care of. All the grass is at the per, like two and a half inches, like subdivision kind of thing. Like everything is beautiful. And, and I walk up to this front door was maybe it's got two, a double door, right? If we go to one of these houses with the double door and it's just got this beautiful, magnificent look to it. And, and, and I, I walk over and I, I ring the doorbell and it, praise this, it plays this like symphony, right? It's like, Right? I'm like, did I just walk into a, a, a symphony here? Like, what's, this is so, so magical. And then they open up the doors and I step into this house and, and I'm welcomed by these uh, huge, beautiful cathedral ceilings. And then we walk down to the kitchen and, and I see stainless steel appliances and I see granite countertops and everything's in its place and everything is high end. They walk me down to the bathroom and, and, and instead of just like the single sink and, and just getting by with the old yellow kind of brown kind of bathtub, right? Like everything's a little scummy. Everything's kind of in its, you know, instead of that, I walk in, I find this beautiful jacuzzi where it's like three or four people can all bath together and get jets on their bath, right? Beautiful bubble bath kind of scene, right? Where everything is so wonderful. And I walk out to their three-car garage and I, I see all these high-end nice vehicles and all of these toys. And I, and I look around and I say, well, these people are wealthy. These people have it. These people are blessed. These people are doing great. Now, let me give you the scenario in there. Now, I'm not saying you can't be in this position or shouldn't strive to be in this position and be able to afford it, right? Like, that's awesome. That's awesome. I want that for you. I want that for me. Can you pray for that onto my life? Like, I would really appreciate that. But in this particular instance, what if I told you I know the couple well enough to know that just because you see it on the outside, it's not everything that you think it is? What if I told you that the wife had to go back to work because they were afraid they were gonna lose it. What if I told you that the husband was scared to death that he was gonna lose his job because he knew if he lost his job, all of, the, all of the, the wealth would come crumbling down because they were living so much on edge. Do you know people like that? This is imaginary friend number one. 
Imaginary friend number two. So I've got this other friend who lives a completely different lifestyle. So when I walk up to their house, I see it's clearly the yard is not well taken care of. It's like he's, he's driving an old lawnmower and it's, the, the deck's a little bit crooked, so everything's got a sway to it. And it's just, he needs to take it over to Paul's and have it worked on, right? He needs to get some things straightened up. And there's toys spread all over the yard. Clearly his kids have been out there having a good time, but it's a nice yard. It works okay for playing outside, but it's not, it's not great. They could, they could use a, a fence and an excavator, right? Like let's, let's level this thing out, right? But it's working. So then I walk up to the door and instead of the beautiful double doors, I see just a single door and I, I, press, the, uh, I press the button beside the dilapidated screen door that's waving in the wind and I press it and instead of hearing symphony music, I hear ding dong. Like, and it just sounds like, like the batteries are dying on their house, right? Like something's, something needs to be looked at there. So then they welcome me in and instead of being welcomed by thir- like 20 feet cathedral ceilings, I'm welcomed by seven foot ceilings. And, and as a six foot two guy, I'm like trying to duck everywhere that I go. And we walk into the kitchen and instead of these stainless steel appliances, I see very normal, very functional, very basic everything. The, the, the Formica countertops instead of the granite, everything's just kind of simple and functional. And we walk down the hall and instead of a jacuzzi, I see uh, just the regular tub and I see a single sink that's just getting them by. And I sit down and I talk with these people about their life, about the two cars in the garage that have over 100,000 miles on them. I talk to them about their life and get to know them. And you know what I feel in this house as I know them and I walk with them personally? I feel the margin. I feel the choosing simpler life. I feel the paid for sofa and the paid for television. I kind of feel that because in the choices that they've made and the lifestyle that they've chosen, even though they may make just as much money a year as the person in imaginary friend number one, they've chosen to have margin. They've chosen to have this simpler lifestyle. And I can sense that there's not this tension. There's not this fear. There's not this, what happens if the paychecks stop coming in? They've chosen what matters most. Now, most of us would say, well, they're, not rich. They're not rich. But are they rich with the things that matter most? Do they have the freedom and the peace? See, the Bible says that the wise store up choice food and oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Now this, the point of this story is not that you can't be either of those and still be holy and great and working hard for the Lord. That's not the point. Like I said, pray some wealth on me. I would love that. But I just want to say, This is the call of the wise, to store up choice food and oil. Now you see this in these two homes. Now I want to look at another scripture, a very popular wealth scripture in the Bible. Uh, In 1 Timothy, Paul writes this letter to Timothy, his apprentice. And and, and you can almost feel these two uh, imaginary scenarios. When he says, but godliness with contentment, is great gain. And I love that. And, and, and I want to stop there for a second because think about it. godliness with contentment is great gain. Because great gain, what is great gain? Great gain is it's a big win. It's a big deal. It's, it's I've done, I've achieved something. I've earned something and I love it and I'm thankful for it and I worked hard for it. But we always wrap our minds around that's supposed to be material, right? It's like, I got a bigger this, I got a better that. But, but, But God is saying here that godliness, to be godly, to be holy, to be righteous with contentment, that's what the big win is. That's what matters. 
And here's why, because he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. We're born with nothing. We leave with nothing. But, so, but we spend all of our years grabbing, grabbing, grabbing for more. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Many pangs being many griefs. So what are griefs? Like we see this debt causing tremendous grief. We see financial pressure causing tremendous grief. We see financial tensions over money in families causing grief and tearing marriages apart is the most, one of the most common reasons that people get divorced. See, we pe- see people unable to enjoy the blessings that they have because they're always worried because they're living this marginless lifestyle. What's the problem? Why do we do this, right? Like, why do, we, why do we trade our margin, our flexibility, our security, and our peace, and so much more for the material things that don't last? Now, here's why I think as American Christians, here's what I see. Our culture's definition of happiness is more than I currently have. Our culture is telling us that we need more, that whatever you have, it doesn't matter how much you have, one more dollar, one more thingamajig, one more widget, one more mountain, one more this, that, or the other thing, because the world is telling us that more, more, more is what's gonna make us happy. So we're raised in this society that is constantly feeding us this, and even though we give our hearts and we give our lives to Jesus, we find ourselves so often choosing the ways of the world and listening to those voices and allowing uh, non-Christians' voices to be louder in our story. But we believe and we're told by every single commercial that we watched during the Steeler game this afternoon that we deserve it and we are supposed to strive to be happy to be happy, that everything is about us being happy and happy. So to be happy, you get more, you get more, you get more, you get more. But there is a better way to live than that. There is a better way than when the, when the income goes up, so goes the lifestyle. When the income goes up, it goes the lifestyle, right? There's a better way. And that's God's way. So if we get past the obvious, like there's some obvious things in this, right? Like lifestyle creep. Okay, so stop spending more than you make, right? So there's deeper though. Like I I, I don't be common sense here and have some, so there's a lifestyle issue that, that is all across America and American Christianity. But I think there's a deeper problem, right? There's a deeper, more spiritual piece to this because you know what to do. I know what to do. You either earn more or you spend less. If you got a problem, you earn more or you spend less, right? You want to you want to lose weight, you exercise more or you eat less. Like these are things that we know, but yet it's a deeper spiritual issue. There's something else at play here. It's one of Jesus's most famous uh, quotes in Matthew six nineteen says, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and, and steal." But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Now, a very fair translation of this would be be where your money goes, so goes your heart. Where your money goes, so goes your heart. Because let's be honest. So statistically speaking, the average American Christian gives right around 2% in a tithe 
tithe 10% to the church, around 2% goes to the church. So that's 2% of your income on average going to, to God, which means that 98% is going towards the things of this world. And I translate that as so 98% of what comes in is, is our heart going towards the world. So 98% of your heart is going towards the world. And we wonder why we want more of the world. We wonder why we're not satisfied with God. We wonder what's happening. It's because it's a spiritual problem that we actually think that these things are going to make us happy. We actually think that even though we, we, we can tell you and we can, we can show you scriptures and say, well, so my, my fulfillment is in Christ. My identity is in Christ. But yet the things that we do tell a different story. And so what do we do? How do we handle this? Where do we go with this? Because like I said, you guys know, right? I don't, I'm not going to give you like basics, like cookies, earn more, spend less. Here's how we're going to budget. I'm not going to do any of that for you today. Instead, I want to give you the spiritual side of this. So what do we do? How do we create financial margin to make space for what matters most? First thing, put God first in your finances. Put God first in your finances. Back in the Middle Ages, uh, something common that was happening among churches is they would sometimes hire mercenaries to go out and fight their battles. Basically, the church or the priest would hire a soldier to go out and, and do their dirty work. So right, wrong, or otherwise, this is something that was happening. They're, they're out there, and they're hiring soldiers to do their dirty work, which would be very strange today, but it was common practice back then. But before the mercenary could go out and do work for the priest and be sent into battle, the church needed to baptize them. Again, this is backwards. It's a little strange, right? But, but these mercenaries, when they got baptized— they would hold their sword up out of the water and not let their, they didn't want their sword to be immersed. They would allow their bodies to be immersed, but they wanted to know that God could not control their weapon. They would give everything. I'll give, okay, I'll give all of my life to God, but I'm not going to give him my weapon because I've got to go out there and I've got to do some dirty work. He can't have control of that. I'm in control of that. Now, a lot of people today, we approach faith like that. We approach our own baptism like that. We say, I want to trust God with everything. I want, to, I want to trust God with all of my life, except I'm not going to trust him with my finances. He can have everything but. So symbolically, we are baptized, but we're holding our wallets up out of the water and say, God, I'm going to follow you in all of these areas, except when it comes to money, I'm going to hold, a, hold on tight to it because I'm afraid that if I, lose, if, if I give it all away, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get any back. I'm not going to be able to, to pull it back instead of this open hand lifestyle. But see, I think those mercenaries were missing out on something. And I think we miss out on something too when we don't trust God in all areas of our lives, including our finances. The call is to surrender our finances to God so that you can do the things that God is calling you to do without worry and without stress and trust him. Trust him and believe him that he can do more with the 90% than you can do with 100%. Are you trusting him with that and finding peace? So here is what happens. When you put God first in your finances, whenever you do that, when you sit down with your spouse or with an accountability partner or just you and God and you lay everything out and you say, Lord, here's my financial mess. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Take it over. I surrender it to you. I surrender it to you. It is yours. It is not mine. 
Here are what happens when you surrender your finances to God and put God first. Number one, it's on the back of your bulletin. You experience God's blessings. You experience God's blessings. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, storehouse being church, that they may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I love this because you can almost hear that, right? So bring 10% of what God has entrusted you into the house so that there may be food in my house. And you can almost hear God say, like when God says this, bring the full tithe, you can almost hear God in, in between the lines saying, you know what? I know that you're not gonna believe me. I know that you think I'm just blowing wind for the sake of blowing wind. I know you think that I'm just, just saying this because I want more of what, of what you have. But, but God's like, hey, you know what? If you don't believe me, then put me to the test. Bring it on. Come on. I'm ready for this because you know what? Just test me. Test me that I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and bless you beyond blessing that you will not have room enough to contain it. This is God saying, test me in this and I will bless you that you can do more with the 90 than you can do with 100 if you trust God with 10. Test me in this. And when we do that, when we, when we trust God with this and we experience God's blessing, the tithing begins to build our faith. It builds our faith. Because if you're running tight 4,000, 4,000 with no margin, the thought of giving $400 to God, that just doesn't compute in our minds, does it? It doesn't quite click. It's like, well, how am I gonna? But, but God is telling us that if we trust him, he's gonna make it work. And I can tell you in my life, in my experience, he makes it work, that he blesses and he blesses. But there's so many cool side benefits to this. It grows your faith. It grows your faith. It breaks the power of materialism and consumerism in your life. It breaks that power because it forces you to let go of some places that your money's been going and instead return things to God. So that's why when people ask me, I don't have any financial margin right now. Should I start tithing or should I wait until I have the margin? The answer is absolutely not. So you start tithing now because it breaks the very thing that is leading you to a marginless life. And it, and it says to God right up front, first fruits, got the paycheck, first fruits. It says to God, I trust you to get me through this month. I trust you to guide me in where this money needs to go until more money comes in. I trust you. It is so crucial, so good for your faith. The second thing that happens is you put your finances, you will become supernaturally content. You will become, and this sounds right, this sounds out there, but we, we serve, a, we, we, we worship in a supernatural faith, right? Jesus rose from the dead. So when we seek him and when we pray, when we ask for his divine direction and his wisdom for what to do with his resources, he entrusts us and you will become supernaturally content. Proverbs 15, 16 says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and troubling with it. Not worse, Better. Better to have how much? It's better to have a little bit. It's better to have just enough, just enough, just enough. Very few people in our society believe that this is a true. But this is God's word. It is better to have just enough and fear the Lord than to have great tre- treasure and, and, and have your life just consumed with trouble. Did you know 
that the, 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 the famous, one of the most famous, often quoted life verses in the Bible, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Did you know that the context of that scripture, it comes right after Paul writes, I have learned to, in whatever situation, to be content. Whether I am in plenty, whether I am hungry, in abundance, or need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's a financial peace built into that. Whether I'm all set or I'm scraping by, I can do all things through Christ. I can get through this. Paul had that supernatural contentment gift from God because he trusted him with everything in his life, even his money. We seek God first. We seek him first. And the third one, you will end up with more of what matters. You will end up with more of what matters most as you're making space for what matters most and you're trusting God. You will have, you, you may not have what everybody else wants physically. You may not have all of the toys. You may not have this beautiful that, this, that, and the other thing, but you will end up with what matters the most. And as Christians, I pray that's your desire. That when you get to the end of your life, you look back and you don't say, I'm so glad that I had this car or this house or that thingamajig. But we look back and we say, you know what? I'm so glad that I had what matters most, that I had a close, growing, vibrant relationship with my Savior and with my wife and with my husband and with my kids. You should only have one or the other. Spouse. Proverbs 8, 18 to 19 says, I have riches and honor as well as enduring wealth and justice. My gifts are better than gold, even the purest gold, my wages better than sterling silver. You spend time with people that you love. You invest in the things that are the most important to you and to God's kingdom. Instead of consuming more from me, you start contributing more to things that really matter. And it's a powerful transition in your life and in your heart. But yet we live in this constant consumerism culture. Go get it, grow it, get more, more, more. And what that leads to is a trillion dollars worth of revolving debt, consumer debt. It's absolutely astronomical. But we live that way, don't we? Now, I can tell you, it, I don't have a single emotional, heartbreaking, bring you to tears story about consumerism. I can't tell you a story about a time I went up to Dubois Mall and I'm looking for some new pants and I walked into JCPenney's and, 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 and it was 30% off, right? Like, I, I, I just brought me to tears. I walked in there, I'm like, oh, of all the days, the day that I need pants, these are on sale. And I just, I'm just like crying my eyes out as I go through the check and I'm just telling this lady, I can't believe it. I needed these pants, right? And you guys ran a sale on the day that I needed pants. Oh, praise the Lord, right? I don't, I, that's not, that's not my story, right? But I could tell you story after story about generosity. And anytime I hear a story about generosity, about people who have financial margin and decide to do great things with it, Things like Operation Christmas Child and the looks, the joy on those kids' faces. Because, you know, my wife and I, we grabbed the box last week, we went up to Dollar Tree, $21. $21, we filled that box and then $9 to ship it. So for $30, 
There's one kid in the world this Christmas that is gonna open one of those boxes and have that kind of look on his face. How simple and how beautiful is that? That was just a $30 margin. But that, that warms my heart. That brings me to tears. That makes me excited. When, I, when we talk about our 60 VBS, kid, VBS kids last summer uh, raising enough money to, to, feed, to feed 50 families for three weeks in Guatemala, that's awesome. That's the, the, the benefit. That's the outcome. That's a beautiful thing when we have financial margin and we trust God with our finances. Those are the kind of cool things that you can do when you get financial margin and make space for what matters most. So that's my prayer for you, is that when God calls you to do something, you don't have to say no. You don't have to hem-haw around because you're not sure if you can afford it. But you trust him, you trust him, you trust him. And wherever you're at on this spectrum, we're always trusting God. We're always asking him for direction. We're always, no matter how poor or behind the eight ball or how rich and way ahead you are, you lay it down before God and you say, Lord, you are trusting me to manage this money well. How can I do it in a way that blesses people, glorifies you, and makes an awesome testimony for the world? Because it's just a tool. It's just a one more tool. Don't get hung up on it. And one of the best ways to not get hung up on it is to just lay it at the feet of Jesus. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. Won't you pray with me? The worship team is gonna come and lead us in the closing song. Father God, I praise you for uh, the blessings that you've given us, Lord. And I do pray that each one of us will, um, will realize that no matter, uh, even if we might not feel like we have that much, it doesn't matter because if you're in it, you can do amazing things. So Lord, I do pray that you will uh, prick our hearts today to, to do better financially so that we can bless, uh, use that blessing to bless others so that we can be a giver and not feel like we're not gonna be able to play the light bill too. So Lord, I do ask your Holy Spirit moves in our hearts, Lord. And I pray that you just remind each of us today of the incredible freedom and grace and forgiveness that we have in the blood of the cross. We love you, Jesus. We praise you in your holy name. Amen.